Maximize Your Influence is your podcast for the latest persuasion, sales, and negotiation techniques. Our mission is to help you influence on command, anyone, anytime, anywhere. Your host is the author of Persuasion IQ, Laws of Charisma, and the best-selling book, Maximum Influence. Now, your host, Kurt Mortensen. All right, this is Maximize Your Influence. Kurt Mortensen here, podcast number 325. Welcome back, welcome aboard. As we take a deep dive in the world of persuasion, negotiation, influence, and sales because we all sell for a living, whether it's a product, service, idea, ourselves, it's all about influence. Things we should have learned in school. Hope things are going well. Hope you had a good week. This has been a webinar week for me. I did not travel, but did a webinar to people in South America, the Middle East, and the United States all in one week on how do you influence up, how do you influence to the side, how do you influence down. One was on marketing, and the other one was on millionaire IQ, millionaire psychology, or we can call it self-persuasion. Whatever you want in life. If you want to become a millionaire, you start thinking, acting, and doing what other millionaires do. It's that simple. So let's start off with a persuasion ninja this week. This has to go to the annual boat show. As you know, I'd rather be on the boat on the lake than in a car. Cars don't do much for me, but boats, wow. You go to a new boat show in the middle of winter when it's cold, it's snowing outside. Almost felt like the thermostat was a little too warm, right? Getting ready for summer. You have the new boat smell in the building. Now, I couldn't tell. I did ask around. Nobody gave me a straight answer if they did a special spray because they do that with cars. You buy a used car, you watch. They spray it with a new car smell because that's a subconscious trigger. And remember, all a factory system goes right to the middle of our brain. It triggers an instant feeling. Think about it. You smell an old perfume or cologne of an old boyfriend or girlfriend and bam, feelings are back. Now, sometimes it's positive, sometimes it's negative. So I didn't get a straight answer there, but it was in the air. So ninja points for that. Everything was shiny, everything was new, and you had the opportunity to go in the boats, to sit in the seats. You had to take your shoes off, which is all right. You need to do that for a boat, but they have it interactive. You're inside, you're doing it, you're looking at the buttons, and man, do they have some bells and whistles on these things now. It's incredible. They had a wakeboarding show going on the side, watching it, getting ready for the summertime. Of course, there were special deals, and I loved a lot of them using these big screen TVs, multiple screens, probably five, six screens, watching people wakeboarding on the boat, skiing, surfing, doing it, getting ready for the next season. It was all interactive. Everyone was engaged. The reps, well, I'll say most of the reps are very friendly, very engaging, and well-trained at what they do. Obviously, they have done this before. So, Ninja to the Boat Show, what we learned, subconscious trigger with the smell, being interactive by getting in the boat, building the dream by watching the videos, and being interactive by watching other people do it all in one place. So think about your product or service. How do you get people more engaged, more involved? How do you create the right subconscious triggers where it just feels right? That's what you need to think about. Every time you present, when people go to your websites, what is that experience? Next, we have our geeky scholarly article of the week. This is new research suggests we shouldn't trust facial expressions. We've talked a little bit about this on the Detecting Deception podcast. In fact, if you want to go to the archives, register for Influence University. That's influenceuniversity.com. 
The archives are part of the free training. There's also the advanced persuasion and influence skills training on there too. So this is brought to us by the American Association for Advancements of Science and Ohio State University found out that new research has found that facial expressions might not be a reliable indicator of emotion. And they warn us that it might be more accurate to say we should never, ever trust a person's face. (laughs) So the researchers analyzed the kinetics of the muscle movements in the human face and compared those muscle movements with a person's emotions. What they discovered is the attempts to detect or define emotions based on a person's facial expressions is almost always wrong. See, everyone makes different facial expressions based on context and cultural background. I've trained all over the world, and some cultures smile more than others. And some cultures, when you do smile, they think something's up, and they think you're weird. It's just part of their culture. And it's more important to realize that not everyone who smiles is happy, and not everyone who is happy smiles. And so the challenge is some companies have begun developing technology to recognize facial muscle movements and assign emotion or intent to those movements. And they analyzed these technologies and found them lacking because it could be a fake smile, it could be a hidden smile, maybe they're smiling on the inside. And they concluded that it takes more than just an expression to correctly detect emotion. For example, they talked about facial color. When you experience an emotion, your brain releases peptides, mostly hormones that change the blood flow and blood composition And because the face is inundated with these peptides, it changes colors. Then you have to look at context. In fact, in one experiment, they showed participants a picture cropped to display just the man's face. The man's mouth is open, an apparent scream, the face is bright red. Everyone said, oh, this guy's annoyed, they're mad, they're angry, they're shouting. But when they saw the whole image, the whole picture, it was a soccer player who was celebrating a goal. Then I mentioned earlier those cultural biases. United States, we smile a lot. We're being friendly. Other cultures means a very different thing. In fact, in some places, you walk around a mall smiling at everyone, you might get hit. (laughs) They might hide their children. They're thinking, "Uh uh-oh, something's up. Run. So the main findings show that people from hiring managers to salespeople to professors to criminal justice experts should consider more than just facial expressions when they evaluate another person. That's true in negotiation, sales persuasion, It's not just the face. See, the face is the best thing we're good at concealing and hiding and changing our emotions. The rest of our body, not so much. But the face, we can change up. Like, oh, we're looking too much. Oh, we should smile. We should change our expression. That's the best thing we're good at falsifying as human beings. Let me also add that in negotiation, in detecting deception, you're looking for clusters. Just because they start to perspire doesn't mean they're lying. Just because they can't look at you doesn't mean they're lying. Just because they're not smiling doesn't mean they're lying. Just because they're taking up less space doesn't mean they're lying. Just because he's more vocal fillers doesn't mean they're lying. But if you see all of those, ding, 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 it's called a cluster. So the message I want to give you here is just don't rely on the face. It's a good start, but you got to look at the whole message, the whole body, both verbal and nonverbal. Time for listener email. Oh, boy. And of course, you can contact me at Kurt at MaximizeYourInfluence.com or go to the website, MaximizeYourInfluence.com. You can get more information on products and services, take your Persuasion IQ assessment for free, and get the free book, the new edition of Maximize Your Influence, all at MaximizeYourInfluence.com. And of course, you can download the podcast and you can subscribe there, whether you like iTunes, Spotify, or iHeart, you have other options there too. 
This is from Frank in Portland, Oregon. Says, Kurt, going through your program, The Psychology of Objections, and I saw this website and I thought of you. They're going over their top sales blunders and you have your top sales blunders. What do you think? Give me your feedback. Do these fit the bill? All right, thanks, Frank. And for reading your email on the show, you get free subscription to influenceuniversity.com. And I'll also put a link in for the article and this sales blunder, sales mistake site if you want to take a look at it. This comes from gong.io. They look at revenue intelligence and getting visibility into customer interactions, taking a deep dive as far as what's working, what's not working, and kind of benchmark top producers. This is what they say. This is titled, Top Sales Mistakes, Seven Horrifying Blunders That Lose Deals. First one is feature dumping. This is when you describe your product's generic features and benefits at length, hoping something sticks. On the show, we call it persuasion darts, vomiting. We also call it show up and throw up. And they say this is the number one behavior to get rid of, is just hoping, throwing these feature darts that something sticks. Do you want this? Do you want this? Without asking the right questions. They say most salespeople are overtrained on their products and undertrained on sales skills. And their chart shows that the more feature dumping, the more vomiting, sales plummet down to 4%. Versus fewer features, it's at 25%. I agree, 100%. We talk about that a lot. That's a huge mistake. And as I interview people after they've lied to you, vomiting is a huge one. Number two, asking annoying questions. They say that most salespeople are trained to start diagnosing their buyer's problem. And they're not looking at the stages. Now, that's one part of it. The part they're talking about, and I call it the journey, is that you don't know where they are in the journey. Maybe they've done all their research. They know what their pain is. They know what their solutions are. They just have a few more questions. Maybe they're ready to roll. Maybe they have no clue who you are, what your company or product is. You have to find out where they are in that journey, where they are in the movie, where they are in the process, and then start there. Then they appreciate your questions. If you go to a doctor's office and you're ill, they want you to take this questionnaire of a thousand questions about your whole body, your medical history. No, you know you have a stomachache. You know what your symptoms are. You know that you've had it before. Same thing happens to me. I get strep throat. That's one of the things that slams me. I know the symptoms. I know what it's like. I just need a shot. And they have to go through everything, start from the beginning. And I know they're protecting their rear end, but it's very frustrating when they're asking the lame questions when I already am in the middle of the journey. Their third mistake is not earning the right to ask questions. The buyer must feel that answering your questions is time well spent. They should believe that it brings them close to their important goals. And so you have to earn that right. They say one way to do this is enough about us. Help me understand your biggest challenges. All I'd add to that is, hey, to serve you better, can I ask you a few questions? Can I do that and get permission to do that? But we got to back up a little bit here. Let me add... The ability to build trust and connect with people also is something that we need to add here that helps your ability to get permission to ask them the right questions. Sales mistake number four for them is steamrolling objections. This is when you interrupt the buyer in the middle of the objection and have a long answer. And when you do this, they say they don't feel understood. You come across as insincere. And like, you don't really understand the objection, even if you do. And I'll agree with that 100%. 
couple ways to fix this, obviously, is to realize it's the first time they voice that objection. You've got to pause before reply, number one. Number two, you've got to realize that it's probably just a complaint or a knee-jerk reaction, and you're solving the wrong objection. You've got to either pause and reply when you know for sure that's the objection, or ask another question to make sure it's the objection, because nothing's worse than solving the wrong objection. Sales mistake number five, one size fits all social proof. They say if you're selling a restaurant, you don't show them a testimonial from Walmart. If you're selling a hospital, you don't show them a, a testimony of somebody from a car dealership. So match the person you're talking to with the industry. I like that. I would add that too. If it's not the industry, you have it. Someone that's similar, that was in a similar problem, similar personality, maybe a similar profession, are all different things that you can add to that piece. Sales mistake number six, the grand finale product demo. They say salespeople save the best for last. And they believe, and correct, they're building positive anticipation. They say the challenge with that, it took 30 minutes to get to the point instead of customizing it to the prospect. I agree with that. That's a challenge many times. And it depends where they are in the process that we talked about earlier. But I think the big challenge here is that people are over-persuading, they're overselling. is that they were done after five minutes. They were done after 15 minutes. Let's say you have a 60-minute presentation, and after 15 minutes, they say, wow, how could we implement this? Can we get started next week? Do you have it in green? That's the time to shut up. Too many salespeople and persuaders say, well, I'm not done with my presentation. Wait till the end. And they try to get them all excited for it, but then it takes the energy out of the room and you can no longer persuade. Mistake number seven for them, given senior executives discovery fatigue. They say, according to their data, asking senior executives too many discovery questions correlates strongly with losing the deal. They found the more questions they ask, the fewer deals they closed. They found that senior executives have higher discovery fatigue. And so your job is to discover the different layers of the organization before you get to the final decision maker. So you're not asking the lame questions. I don't know if they're lame, but the same questions. They just need a couple questions at the very end. So get your questions answered from somebody else before you get to that final decision maker, that senior VP. I will agree with that one 100%. You still have to ask some questions and develop the relationship built trust, but you want to get as much research done. Now, if you have a direct meeting with the senior VP, let me add, I would just do your research as much as you can by talking to others. If you can't do that, internet, other ways, or maybe a few questions via email so you don't get stuck in that they call question fatigue. Let me add a few more. We're talking about sales blunders. Big blunder is closing skills. Now, I know there's a time and place for closing skills, and you've heard me say this before. Closing skills like trying to get a kiss after a bad date. you got to open them up. If they don't like you and they don't trust you, it doesn't matter what phrase you have. And when you get to the close, they should be already be closed. You don't shouldn't need a phrase. It should be a done deal. We only use closing skills when we've blown it somewhere in the presentation. That is number eight. Number nine, we call it the self-perception bias or the woebegone effect. I don't know if you read the book Lake Woebegone, but in this book by Garrison Keillor, all the children were smarter than average, all the women were more beautiful than average, and all the men were stronger than average. And so social psychologists have grabbed onto this concept and said, that's true for people in business. When there's a skill that you're expected to have, you rate it much higher than it should be. We cannot rate our own skills. So you need to be open as a salesperson, as a persuader, and think, okay, what am I doing wrong? Because I guarantee, I've been doing this for a long time, that what you think you're doing right or wrong is very different. Things like 92% of managers rate their managerial skills as above average. 
Hello, not possible, but in their mind, they're good. 90% of people rate their people skills as above average. You know know that annoying person you work with, the person that rubs you the wrong way, the person that thinks they're funny, but they're not? That could be you. That is you. I'm not here to sugarcoat this. You're the annoying person in some situations. Sure, you can get along with people like you, but I'm talking about other people with different beliefs and personalities, different departments, different cultures. 85% of high school seniors rate their driving skills as above average. You see where I'm going here. Be open. What you need to change and what you think you need to change can be two very different things. And I've seen it with salespeople. I've consulted. I've trained. I've coached. And again, what people think they're doing right or wrong is very different. And on the flip side, too, sometimes they're doing much better than they actually think. So be open here on this, well, we got to affect this self-perception bias. It's a huge mistake people make in the world of persuasion, influence, and sales because what they think they're doing right or wrong is very different. You have to get a coach or a consultant or a friend or a colleague, someone to take a look at your presentation skills. That's a huge one that people just can't evaluate. When I teach persuasive presentations and we record a video and I have them evaluate themselves, they're not even close. They're either way too high or way too low on their skills. Your brain might be telling you you're doing better than you actually are. In fact, interesting, here are the top five things in the woebegone effect or the self-perception bias that plague people. Number one is people skills. Remember I said 92% of managers think their managerial skills are above average? When people are fired from their job, they're not told the real reason. Let me give you an example. Harvard did a study and found that 66% of people fired from their job are fired because of their inability to work with people or lack of people skills. And what does HR tell them? Oh, yeah, downsizing. We wish you could stay. No, we don't like you. But legally, they can't tell them they never know. The second one is persistence. We think we're a lot more persistent than we actually are. We think we stick to our goals better than we actually do. Our communication skills or presentation skills, we tend to rank higher than we actually are, especially if we're expected to have them. Our personal mastery or personal development is one we rank a little too high. And of course, you already know this, that's why you're here, your persuasion skills, we tend to rank higher than they actually are. And final one, number 10, I'm going to add to this list, getting too friendly too fast. (laughs) Oh, you got to be enthusiastic. You got to be friendly. And some people just don't have time for that. It's changed. The world of sales and persuasion have changed. We don't want to get too friendly too fast. Or the old school, hey, tell me about your trophy, your fish on the wall. Hey, is that your family? Oh, you must be a golfer. They're taking those things home because they're tired of talking about it because like, ding, ding, they're here to sell me something. And you have to realize that half the people you meet don't want to do it. And the other half, and I'm simplifying this, need to have the people skills and that connection. And so you need to know before you get there, are they a people person or do they need to build trust? Because those are your options. When you first get there, you got to build credibility and trust for half. And the other half want, all right, let's look at the relationship. And you've got to know through research, maybe listen to their voicemail when they weren't there. You could tell, is it Sally? It says, oh, it's Sally. Your call's important to me. And there's music in the background. Uh, People skills, if you hear, it's Bob, you know the drill. You're probably starting with trust. Ask the receptionist. Ask people that worked with them. Maybe do they come out and meet you in the lobby? That's people skills. If you get escorted to their office by somebody else, probably trust and credibility. Or just listen to the first initial statements. How long have you guys been in business? Hey, what do you have today? Hey, give me the bottom line. You're probably building credibility and trust. When they say, hey, how's it going? You having a good day? How long have you lived here? Tell me about your family. You're probably doing people skills. You have to adapt. Remember, your default setting is you tend to persuade others how you like to be persuaded. 
wrong, wrong, and wrong. You need to persuade people, adapt to them, and persuade them how they want to be persuaded. That's our podcast for today. Thanks for listening. Tell your family, friends, and enemies about the podcast. Subscribe, hit like. We are also on YouTube at Maximize Your Influence, where I supersize something that I talked about today and post it on YouTube. Thanks for your love, support, and feedback. Appreciate you being here. Take one of these blunders, one of these mistakes, something that we talked about today, incorporate it in your life, improve it, and go out and persuade with power.